You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, take your Bible, please. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter number 4 this evening, please. Nehemiah chapter number 4. It's been good to be in church on Wednesday night. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of God. Thank you for all the singing and the specials and uh, the different uh, students from the Christian school and the college that took part in the service tonight. God's been good to us, hadn't he? All right, we just sang that song and lied while we sang it. But God's been good to us, hasn't he? And Brother Martinez said, I wrote that song. I said, no, yours was different. Yours was alive, alert, awake, and always hungry. But it's close to the same song. But he said he wrote it. Nehemiah chapter number four. I hope you had a good week this week. And uh, I wanted to get further into the book of Nehemiah by tonight than what we have. But uh, we're in chapter number four. Um, next week, of course, is college graduation. And then the week after that, I'm going to be preaching uh, out of town, but uh, Pastor S, we just continue this on. So we're going to continue this on through the, the summer, I believe, and looking forward to what God will do in our hearts through the book of Nehemiah. Tonight, you're going to have to kind of, I hate when preachers say this because I don't even know what it means, but I'm going to say it anyhow. You're going to have to pay attention on purpose, whatever that means. I don't know how you pay attention on accident, but uh, you're going to have to just kind of stay with me. The title is a little bit different, but I do believe the principle or the truth is going to help us and make sense as uh, I try to deliver it tonight. Nehemiah chapter number four. If you will, look with me at verse number six. Now, we, we preached on this last week, the first few verses of chapter number four. And we understand that now Nehemiah has been scorned, he's been slandered, and he has been mocked. Now, in Nehemiah chapter number one, Nehemiah's responsibilities, if you will, Nehemiah's life consisted of really just two things. Number one, captivity, and number two, carrying cups for the king. That was it. That was his life. By the end of chapter number one, added to that is now a burden for Jerusalem. So something's been added to his life. You come to chapter number two, and Nehemiah has not just carrying cups to the king and captivity and a burden for Jerusalem, but now added unto his life is the pressure of traveling with orders from the king from Shushan the palace to Jerusalem a thousand miles. Added to his life by the end of chapter two, on top of all of those things, is now he has to deal with lumber yards and gather up the stones and rally the remnant to help him in the work. Now, at the beginning of chapter number one, none of that was in his life. But by the end of chapter two, all of that was added to his life. Let me ask you the question. What was Nehemiah's purpose in Nehemiah chapter number one? It was to build the wall. What was Nehemiah's purpose at the end of chapter number two? It was to build the wall. You come to chapter number three, and now he has to counsel. Now he has to shepherd. Now he has to organize. Now he has to assign sections of the wall to the remnant. But what was his purpose? His purpose was still to build the wall. Now you come to chapter number four and he's slandered and he's scorned and he's mocked. And we talked about those sticks and stones last week. But in verse number six, look what he says. So built we the wall. Now the equation of Nehemiah's life has gone from two things to many things, but the sum or the outcome did not change. Things were added to his life, but it didn't change the purpose of his life. It remained the same from chapter 1 to chapter number 4, and that was still to build the wall. At the latter part of chapter number 4, look at verse 16. A death threat comes 
from outside. They're going to infiltrate and possibly slay Nehemiah. And here's what he does. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields and the bows and the haberjons and the, I don't even know if that's how you pronounce that. Good news is you probably don't either. So we're going to go with what I said. And the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the walls and they that bear burdens with those that laid every, uh, laid it every one with one of his hands, watch this, wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. So now these men are on the wall building and in one hand they have a trowel, in the other hand they have a sword, they're building and they're battling. There are men that are threatening to take their lives. But let me ask you this, what is Nehemiah's purpose at this point? It's still to build the wall. More stuff was added to his life, but it didn't change the will of God for his life. His purpose was the same. And the Bible said in verse 18, for the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side. And watch what he said. And so build it. And then you go down to verse 21 and he says it again. So he labored in the work. Nehemiah's life was increasingly loaded. Now listen to me with more responsibility and more stress and more obligations and bigger expectations from chapter one to chapter four. But no matter what was added into his life, it did not change what God intended for the outcome of his life, which was to build the wall. Tonight, you and I are here for a purpose, not a multiplicity of purposes, but a purpose. My purpose and your purpose is the exact same. You say, what is it? It is to bring glory to God. How do I bring glory to God? By doing the will of God for my life. Things might come into my life and things might go out of my life. But whatever is added to the equation of my life, it should still equal out in the end doing the will of God for my life. For a little while tonight, I want to speak to you on this thought. Working plus whining, he dealt with all these, plus warfare, plus whatever else should still equal wall building. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your help, and I sure need it tonight. I pray you'd help this truth that you used in my life to be presented clearly so that it would help our church tonight. Pray for every couple, every family, every single individual, every young person. I pray we'd not get consumed with things in the immediate and miss our mark, which is doing the will of God. I pray you'd help us to continue and be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Neil Moody made the statement. He said, give me a man that says this one thing I do and not these 50 things that I dabble in. Now, if there was a subject that I could have done without when I was in school, it was math. Now, I couldn't have done without it because I was so good at it, but I could have done without it because in Jesus' sweet name, I hated math with all of my heart. Now, I guess that doesn't sound too Christian, so let me say this. I disliked math a great deal with much fervency. I hated math. Now, I enjoyed my other classes. I liked phys ed. I loved recess. And I was a fan of lunch when you could tell what the lunch was. But I never was much of a fan of math. I kind of remember math class like a soldier thinks of combat. In fact, right now while I'm talking about math, my palms are getting sweaty. I'm getting a little bit queasy on my stomach and the hair on my neck is standing up. And I can almost hear as the bullets breeze past my helmet and the explosions are going off in the distance. I absolutely hated math class. My least favorite class of all was geometry. Geometry especially was like purgatory in my life. It was my proverbial death row cell. 
I kind of said in geometry class like a man sits in his cell waiting for his date with the electric chair. I didn't like geometry at all. To me, it was worse than kissing sandpaper or hugging a rattlesnake or going to a DMV and not having all the right paperwork. I hated a geometry class. I think that my teacher in geometry probably was there on the day geometry was created by God in the book of Genesis. I don't think that she used body lotion. I think she had to rub down with embalming fluid just to get through the day. In fact, she probably was there when Methuselah took geometry, and she probably was there for most of his childhood. She was kind of crabby and kind of cantankerous, and I was just like I am now, sweet and innocent and not ornery or anything like that. But for some reason, my teacher did not like me at all. I mean, she just flat out did not like me. Why? I'll never know. Because I believe to know me is to love me. But for some reason, she didn't love me. I remember one day she was walking down the aisle where my desk was and she tripped over my backpack and she fell into the floor and she had the audacity to accuse me of tripping her. Now, that was a long time ago and it's under the blood anyhow and I would never admit to it. But anyway, she fell and she kind of acted like she fell and landed on a protractor. She got red and I mean, she was upset and she sent me right to the principal's office and most of that semester I had two assigned seats. I had an assigned seat in geometry and I had an assigned in the principal's office. Basically, all I learned in geometry was new ways to get detention. The only thing I remember from geometry was go down the hallway, make a right angle to the left, and you'll find yourself in the principal's office. I hated that class with all of my heart. Now, I'd probably do better geometry now since government's gotten involved and equations are racist and everybody gets the same grade no matter if they're dumb or smart. But I hated geometry the first time and the second time that I took it when I was in high school. But though I'm not a fan of math, I have to understand this math when it comes to the Christian life. Just as two plus two equals four, and it always will, so it is in life that the seasons of life plus the circumstances of life plus the good and the bad of life should still always equal out to me fulfilling the will of God for my life. Two plus two does not change. The sum does not change. The outcome does not change. And the result does not change. And so my life, regardless of what is added into my life, should always equal out to me fulfilling my purpose and doing the will of God. Things are constantly added to me in life. Just since I've been saved, a number of things have been added to my life. I have not always been married. That was added to my life. I've not always been a father. That was added to my life. I've not always been a pastor. That was added to my life. I've not always lived in California. That was added to my life. I've not always been at this church. That was added to my life. And so it is. That's how life goes every day, every month, every week, every year. Things are constantly added to our life. But don't miss this. Though things are added to the equation of our life, the outcome should never change. And that is to find my purpose and fulfill the will of God for my life. The Bible says, and be a trans formed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in Nehemiah's life, no matter how you add them together, working plus whining plus warfare plus whatever else came into his life should still equal out to Nehemiah getting the wall built. Now, purpose is a fixed intention. Purpose is a goal that does not change. Purpose is like the North Star of life. It's a fixed point. In a world that constantly changes, a person with a purpose can boast of having something that is unchangeable. 
I want you to hear this statement. People who are a success in life live for a purpose. I want to say it again. People who are a success in life live for a purpose. Bob Jones Sr. said a man who is a success finds God's purpose for his life and then he does it. Those kind of people do not just live in the moment, but they live for a destination. They live every single day looking ahead to a goal that waits for them in tomorrow. They don't just float with the current. They don't just let the events of the day determine their direction. They don't wet their finger to the wind and then decide how to move. But rather they live with a fixed goal set before them and every day they do something to propel them toward that goal. They might not reach that goal in that given day, but they will do things every day that get them closer to their goal. They live on purpose and they live for a purpose. But more than that, they don't just live on purpose and live for a purpose, but they balance their life so as not to let, to let the things added to their life rob them of reaching that purpose. The writer of Hebrews said it like this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, those early Christians would have to endure things just like you and I. Every day they deal with the circumstances of life, but they were not to allow any circumstance that entered their life to become their purpose. Rather, they were to live each day looking at the goal, looking at the mark, pressing toward the prize with their eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. No matter what was added to them, no matter what was subtracted from them, it should still equal out to them running toward Jesus. You see, tonight, those who fulfill their purpose go through hardship, but they don't allow hardship to change their life's equation. They might face the unexpected, but they don't let the unexpected alter the equation. Their life will change just like ours does. But unlike everyone else, a person who lives for a purpose does not change the sum to adapt to the changes of life. It remains the same. Just like two equals two plus two equals four, and it always will. You can throw in tragedy, you can throw in trial, you can toss in the ups and toss in the downs, but it will not change the equation. They are fixed and focused on proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Life will change, but the purpose should not. Situations will change, but the purpose should not. Circumstances will change, but the purpose should not. We should always press toward the will of God. Add, add every ingredient, add every ingredient that living in this world can add to a life. And the person who lives for a purpose would still do that math and say, you know what? The situational changes plus the varying circumstances plus everything else that comes into my life still equals out to me fulfilling the will of God. The Bible says in Acts 20 and verse 24, but none of these things move me. Neither count I, life, my, count I my life dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy. Now, I want you to understand something. The course is not the same as the finish. There are two different things. The course can change, but the finish should never change. 
And Paul did not get consumed with his course. Paul stayed consumed with his finish. I'm convinced the reason many Christians get out of the will of God is we allow ourselves to get fixed and consumed with the course of life, which can twist and turn, alter and change. And we forget that the finish is why we're in the race. And the will of God should not change. The equation of our life might go from adding this to that and then a number of other things. But it should always equal out to me fulfilling the will of God, God's purpose for my life. The word purpose is defined as the reason for which something exists or is made. A purpose is an intended result, an end, an aim, or a goal. A purpose is the point of one's existence. I think about that statement that Mordecai made to Esther when he said, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? That specific time was her purpose. Now, she lived longer than that. She didn't just live for a moment. But her life was lived for that moment. Her life consisted of being orphaned. It consisted of being a captive. It consisted of becoming queen. It consisted of dealing with Haman and the threat to her nation. But all of those things added together still equal out to Esther fulfilling her purpose and saving her nation. I think about the Apostle Paul. He said in Philippians, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now you got to listen to me tonight. Paul experienced a long list of things every day while he strived to fulfill that one thing he was put on earth for. Paul faced a lot of things. Paul faced hardship. Paul Paul faced challenges. Paul faced hatred. He was lied about and stoned and he had to travel and make tents and he'd preach. But what he's saying is that all of those things he dealt with on a daily basis never got his eyes off the prize, never got him off of his mark, never took his focus off of the finish of his course. So he pressed on to accomplish that one thing. I'll tell you about a man who did that. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus came to this world with a purpose. He came here for a reason. You say, what was his purpose? Born to die upon Calvary. Born my sins to forgive. But his life in the Gospels was filled with different things. The equation of his life continually grew as he ministered here on earth. He didn't come necessarily to do uh, those miracles like opening blind eyes and healing the lame. He didn't come to battle the Pharisees and the scribes. He came to die for my sins upon Calvary. But those instances were added to his life. But he did not let those things added together to knock him out of doing the will of God. But he set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem and he was able one day to say, it is finished because he understood how to do the math. Now I hate math. I despise math, but I have to understand it in this sense. If I'm going to finish my course and hear well done from Jesus one day, I cannot allow the additions to the equation of my life to get to an equal outcome than what God has intended for me when he knew me before I ever drew my first breath. So tonight for a little while, I want you to think with me about Nehemiah. And let me stop and say this. There are men tonight that punch a time clock that ought to be in a pulpit but they allow things to enter into their equation and they let it equal out to something other than the will of God. 
There are people not on mission fields tonight that should be, but they let circumstances come into their life. And when they added it to the rest of their life, they changed the equation and it did not equal out to doing the will of God. There are couples who are not together. They're divorced because something came into their life and then they added it in. They let it change the outcome of the equation and did not fulfill the will of God. So tonight, think with me about this. Working plus whining plus warfare plus whatever else ought to still equal wall building. I read a quote that said this. Only insofar as every part of your life is adjusted to God in every detail can God achieve his purpose through you. And only as he achieves his purpose through you will your life be a success in the truest sense of the word. Now, Nehemiah is a man with a purpose. More than that, Nehemiah is a man created for a purpose. Anyone who knows anything about Nehemiah knows that he has a purpose. Some Bible characters, you have to search and try to figure out why are they in the Bible. But that's not the case with Nehemiah. I've said this before in other messages, Bible characters sometimes become synonymous with their purpose. For example, when I think about uh, Solomon, I think about the temple. When I think about Noah, I think about the ark. And when I think about Nehemiah, I think about the wall of Jerusalem. Now, let's get a quick rehearsing of the story and we'll get to the application for tonight. For far too long, those walls of Jerusalem had laid in heaps around the city. The piles of debris were a reminder every day to the children of Israel that their city had fallen and they were captives to a foreign power. The remnant living in the city of Jerusalem had to remember better days and their city was a reproach to their God. When we find Nehemiah, we do not first find him among the remnant. And we don't first find him among the rubble in the city of Jerusalem, but we find him in the palace of Persia. Nehemiah is not carrying a trowel. Nehemiah is carrying drinks for the king. I'll stop here and say it's amazing how the providence of God will put a man right where God wants him to be so that he can realize and fulfill his purpose. Because if I were God, I would have wanted Nehemiah in Jerusalem. I would have wanted him to be part of that remnant. I would have wanted him to have a background in construction. But can I remind you that all things work together for God and for good to them who love God. And God is putting the pieces of the puzzle of Nehemiah's life together so he can fulfill his purpose. One day while Nehemiah is in the palace, he hears that report that the walls of the city are in shambles. The gates are burned with fire and the whole thing's a bad testimony to the God of heaven. Now God begins to form a goal in the heart of Nehemiah. There's a big bullseye that takes shape in his vision. Nehemiah had been living day to day just carrying drinks, serving the king as a captive in the palace. But from that point on in chapter one, Nehemiah lives for a purpose. Now, this point in Nehemiah's life, his equation is kind of small. All it is is Nehemiah is a captive, Nehemiah is a cupbearer, and now Nehemiah has a burden given to him from God. When you get to chapter number two, Nehemiah stands before the king. The sorrow on his face leads the king to ask Nehemiah to reveal what's on his heart. Nehemiah petitions the king to let him go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. Now, that had to be an exciting day in Nehemiah's life. I believe the most exciting moment in the life of an individual is that moment when they realize that you're here for something bigger than time. You're here for something of eternal value and that the God of heaven has a specific purpose and plan for your life. The king gives Nehemiah permission to go back to Jerusalem. Once he's in that city, he surveys the destruction. Now he has to formulate a plan. He has traveled for thousands 
thousands of miles. He's prayed for four months. He's petitioned the king and now he's in Jerusalem and he's there for a purpose. In verse 17 and 18 of chapter 2, Nehemiah reveals to the remnant that God had put it on his heart to rebuild the walls. That was his purpose. His goal was to remove the reproach and bring revival out of the rubble of Jerusalem. The people respond to Nehemiah in unison and they say, let us rise up and build. Now we've already talked about that, but that must have been an electrifying experience, an entire congregation unified, solidified around a common objective and a common goal. They had a purpose and that purpose was to rebuild the wall. Now we're talking about this equation. Think about it with me. Right now, Nehemiah's life has added to him the weight of carrying a burden from God. It's added to him the toil of traveling a thousand miles by a beast of burden. It's added added to him the responsibility of a building project. It's added to him dealing with lumber yards and bargaining with stone quarries. It's added to him the stress of not being a servant, but now he is a leader. It's added to him the work of organizing and motivating and counseling the remnant in Jerusalem. None of those things were in his life when we found him in chapter number one. But even though they weren't in his life in chapter one, when they came into his life, it did not change the intended purpose for his life, which was to get the walls built. Many of those things were nowhere found in his life in chapter one. Many of those things aren't found in his life by the end of chapter number two. But as you get to chapter number three, all of those things have been added to his life. Now think about this. He has added to his life responsibility, but it does not change his equation. He has added manual labor, but it does not change his equation. He has added new people but it does not change the equation. He has added more stress, but it does not change his equation. All of that is added to his life in chapter one and chapter two and chapter three. He has to organize people, but he's not called to organize. He's called to build the wall. He has to deal with lumber yards, but he's not called to be a businessman. He's been called to build the wall. He has to deal with bureaucrats, but he's not called to be a bureaucrat. He is called to build a wall. And though those things were necessary and he had to deal with those things, None of those things were the purpose. They were just part of the equation of life. His purpose was still to build the wall. In chapter number three, he has to go around the sections of the wall and say, now you build over there. That's a man who just before had to worry about carrying a cup. Isn't it amazing how God can equip a willing vessel? Now he has to go around and say, you build there. I want to say, y'all build there, y'all build there, but you don't know Greek and Hebrew like I do. So I'll say, you build there and you build there. He has to counsel these people. He's not a counselor. His life has changed. His course is constantly altering. It's twisting, it's turning, it's maneuvering. But the finish of his course never once changed. By chapter number four, Nehemiah has more big things added to his life. But it doesn't change the fact he is there to build the wall. Nehemiah chapter number four starts with Nehemiah being slandered. This is a guy who was just a cupbearer. I doubt he got much hate mail when he was a waiter. He's being scorned. He's being threatened. 
I don't think Nehemiah had to deal with much drama when he had to carry cups for the king, but now he's a target. He's under pressure. He's in a new city. He has to work with new people. Life is adding thing after thing after thing to Nehemiah. He's involved in the work. He has to deal with whining. He has to deal with the, uh, the warfare that'll come in this chapter. His equation keeps growing, but the outcome never did. Two plus two equals four, and it always will. And so it was in God's design for Nehemiah. He was there to build the wall. Now you find out as you read down to verse number six, he responds to that scorning. He responds to all that pressure. He responds to dealing with lumber yards and stone quarries. He responds to a thousand miles of travel, maybe on foot or on the back of some kind of an animal. He responds to that weight of carrying that need to rebuild the walls. And he said, you know what we did? He said, we just went ahead and built the walls. It's like he's saying, I dealt with all that. I added this to life and that to life and that to life, but I never forgot. I'm here for the glory of God. I'm here for the will of God. I'm here for a purpose. So we just went ahead and built the wall. Now I'll say this, the math is getting hard, isn't it? It's getting a lot harder now in his life. All these things added into his life, but it did not change his purpose. All of those things added to him still equaled out to doing the will of God. In verse number 10, look down at verse number 10. Judah starts to complain. Now they're in the middle of God doing something and all they want to do is complain. I'm glad we don't have anybody like that here, but I hear they have those in other churches. It says, and Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there's much rubbish so that we're not able to build. I mean, they just watched a man give up his life to go over to Jerusalem and help them. And now they're saying, I don't think we can do it. And then in verse 11, they say, and our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. All Nehemiah wants to do is do a work for God. But check the math now. He's got to deal with all that travel. He has to rally a group of people. He has to counsel and instruct and organize. Now he has to deal with these folks who are whining about it being too hard. Now he has death threats in his life. He probably felt like I said I did in my math class. I mean, can you imagine how blown away Nehemiah must have been? He was just a man. He was just a common man. He was just a servant in chapter number one. And now all of these things are added to his life. Now let me emphasize this. This is probably the most dangerous place to be in life. The most dangerous place to be in life might be when you set out toward a goal and suddenly unforeseen things come into your life. Unforeseen circumstances. Unforeseen situations. Because at that moment, it is easy to forget or even abandon your purpose and devote all your attention to that immediate need. And next thing you know, you're out of the will of God. I'm talking about you didn't plan on financial trouble, but financial trouble came. Financial trouble is not your purpose. The will of God is your purpose. But how many Christians leave a good church and get out of the will of God because they try to meet that immediate need of financial trouble? I'm talking about your health is not good. Now, dealing with health is not your purpose. The glory of God, the will of God is your purpose. But you can get consumed with your health. I'm talking about something, a blessing like a baby or a new job, a, a good thing comes into your life. That's not your purpose, but it draws immediate attention and can get your eyes off of your purpose. 
When you come to the bottom of chapter number four, Nehemiah has to have his workers not just carry a trowel, but they have to carry a sword. Now think about this. They're building this wall, and as they're building this wall, they have these people breathing down their necks that want to do them harm, and yet they're still at it. They're still getting the wall built. I don't know about you, but I think at this point in time, I'd be a little bit more concerned about those who wanted to kill me than the construction of the wall. But I like the fact that Nehemiah did not let that circumstance get his eyes off of his purpose. And we learn about his character. Nehemiah kept his eyes fixed. In verse 21, he just said, so we labored in the work. He said, I'm dealing with all of these things. I'm having all of these issues. I'm having some hard things. I'm having some stressful things. I have to lead all these people. He said, but I don't let it knock me off course. Our job is to build the wall. So we just went ahead and we built the wall. Now here's the message. His purpose never changed. Even though his life changed. Even though the peripheral changed. The main thing was the main thing. That was the glory of God and the will of God. The critics weren't the goal. The work was not the goal. All that excess counseling was not the goal. It was the glory of God. That was the goal. And he said, whatever comes, I'm going to do this one thing. I'm here for such a time as this. We're going to build the wall. Nehemiah did a great work because Nehemiah learned how to balance his life without losing his purpose. Let me apply it and I'll be through. The only thing for certain I can tell you about life is this. Your life is going to change. Every person who has ears to hear tonight, your life is going to change. And your life is not going to change on your schedule or according to your planner. It is going to change. But can I say this? Your purpose will not change. Your purpose and mine will stay the same regardless of what life bowls down the alley of our life. And that is to bring glory to God. No matter what what is added to my equation, no matter what comes into my life, it should still equal out to me fulfilling my purpose. If I want to say it one day, like Paul, that I finished my course with joy and hear well done from the lips of my Savior, I cannot allow these things that come into the equation of my life to alter its outcome. Now, my desire is to put a desire in your heart to do something for the glory of God. But can I say things are going to rise up as soon as you attempt to live for God, that if you're not careful, they will knock you off track and get you away from your purpose. I have a course, but my course is not my purpose. My course is going to change. My course is going to alter. I've not always lived here. I've not always had a child. I've not always been married. I've not always been this age. I've not always dealt with what I deal with in this moment. But can I say it doesn't change the fact that God has a finish line out yonder in my life. And I can't fall into the trap of getting wrapped up in something that's added to life and let it change the outcome of my life. I might be preaching to someone here tonight that's frustrated in your walk with God because you've allowed something to knock you away from your purpose. You're disgruntled because you're not fulfilling your purpose. Here's the problem we face, getting the math wrong. Maybe you have every intention to reach your goal and to run your race and to cross the finish line and reach that mark. But life will add things to your equation. All of a sudden, I say it again, financial trouble's added in. But don't allow it to change your outcome of your equation. Maybe you'll lose your job. But that shouldn't change the outcome of your equation. Maybe you get a bad doctor's report. That shouldn't change the outcome of your equation. We've all had to deal with COVID. That wasn't on my planner. But can I say that should not be allowed to change the outcome of my equation. Maybe God's blessed you in a big way. That should not change the outcome of your equation. Maybe you've had to relocate recently. 
That shouldn't change the outcome of your equation. David had to deal with Goliath. David had to deal with Saul. David had to hide in a cave. But it didn't change the purpose for his life, and that was to be king. Tonight, can I say God has a will of God for every person? But I believe the average Christian might spend a day or two pursuing the will of God, but they don't abide or live in the will of God for their life. And here's what happens. You get your eyes off of the finish line and get your focus on your course. Your course is going to change. Your life is going to change. But it doesn't change the fact that there is a perfect will of God for your life. Don't loose your ship from harbor when the storm is raging because you'll wreck your vessel every single time. Just stay in the will of God. All these things were added in Nehemiah's life. None of them there in the beginning. All of them there by the end of chapter number four, but didn't change his purpose. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray tonight. D.L. Moody said, give me a man who just says this one thing I do, not these 50 things I dabble in. I want to hear well done one day. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to keep my eyes fixed further down the road than in the immediate. You're going to have to do the same. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.